bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Lord God. We welcome you into the house of the Lord wherever you're at. You know, wherever we praise his name, wherever we lift up his name, the Lord says, I shall be in that place. And so let us agree this morning that we're here in the altar of Touch Heaven Canfield Church in the heartland of the United States. But also we're there in your home with you and he's there in your home with you. We're gathered together in unity. And so let us cover this in prayer. I want you to hold on because I believe this is not only an uplifting word, but a transforming word. And a word that we can hang on to and get some understanding as to what to expect in the near future and the future coming forward. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a definitive word of God this morning. We stand on the firm foundation of Scripture, Holy Scripture, the logos of the Word of God, Christ Himself. And we seek that fresh revelation, the rhema that you pour out upon us that is everlasting from beginning till end. And Father, you don't adjust to circumstances and time, but what you do is transform us so that we are able not only to persist, but to overcome and to understand. For Lord, we come to you with a thirst and a hunger for more of you to come back to you, to be fresh with you again, to be renewed with you, restored and reformed and transformed. Be blessed, O oh God. Holy Spirit, you take over the rest of this message, this service, our communion together and our worship together. We come to you, Father, with hearts, hearts that we say to you, Father, we need you. If ever in a time in our lives, we need you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you bless you in Jesus name amen and amen and wherever you're at lift up an amen will you please I want to welcome all of those who are with us today from wherever you're at and there's many of you coming from many places in different parts of the globe I want to thank and welcome Anwar and Nita Fazal Masi pastors in Lahore, Pakistan, who through Isaac Television are broadcasting us live right now and through different Facebook and social media networks all over the world, touching people in different time zones. We appreciate that, and most of all, I'm very humbled, and I take it as a, an extreme responsibility to stand as an oracle of God this morning. So thank you, and be blessed, and welcome all of you everywhere. Last Sunday, the Lord gave a very stinging rebuke in the sense that it was time for us to really repent, to move to not just a season of repentance, not just a moment of repentance, not just a knee-jerk reaction of repentance, as some of us have experienced in our lifetimes, including the tragedy of 9-11 in this country where people for a little while found their hearts running back to church and to God and then very quickly, complacency and familiarity snuck back in. But today, the Lord says this is a pause. And what I'd written was that we're in that time and the place when it's just not a pause socially, economically, politically, but the Lord likened it unto a pause that would be a season 
a Shabbat season, a Sabbath season of Yom Kippur atonement. A season to atone and to reset. Yom Kippur in the Jewish High Holy Day is that day of all, the holiest day for atonement, but also a reset for the next year. Well, forget about calendrical years. We're in a season of God, and he's calling us to a reset. Before the Holy Spirit strips us down and we begin to see some of the ugliness and, and nastiness that's in the world and possibly in our own souls this morning, how about an encouraging word? I've always found out that I can fill an auditorium faster with an encouraging word than I can with a rebuke. It just happens to be our way, isn't it? And we know that honey attracts the bees, and the bees bring something that is fruitful. Well, let's start off with some honey, and that comes out of Isaiah 60. And it also is something I want to build upon this morning, as deep calls unto deep vision revived in new creation. We will get there, and I promise you, stay with me. You'll want to get there because you'll begin to be able to write things on a tablet and understand where to go and who to go to. The word of the Lord says, Isaiah 60, starting in verse 1, Arise and shine. Let's stop for a moment and let it soak in. Arise, get up. Now, it doesn't mean you have to get out of your house. We'll talk about social distancing in a moment. But it does mean to get up, to what? To waken up your spirit. David cried out in the morning as a psalmist, Lord, awaken my glory. Stir up my glory. And then shine. And so even if you don't feel like it, you look outside and in some of our weather zones, we have some gray days and there's some days that don't look as bright as others. And of course, looking out your window and wondering what's going out in the world and you can't do it can become very gray. You can have a, see the world through a gray lens. But he says shine. And so we understand when the Lord says arise and shine that he's the source of us shining. And unless we allow him to shine in us and through us, we're not a light, but we're a darkness in the world. So he says arise and shine for your light has come. Now, that isn't a perfect tense, that a perfect present tense. So it means it has come. It did come and it shall come. Your light is coming. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That's our source. That's our force. That's our power. That's the very substance of God himself that Jesus cried out on his way to the cross. Father, give them your glory that I might be in you, me in them, and we be one. It's his glory in us. But then he gives us a caution. And this caution is for today. And that caution is, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and a deep, gross darkness, the people, the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So we're talking about two different people, aren't we? People of the world that don't have the glory of God in them and don't have access to the glory of God or at least are indifferent to the glory of God in their lives and people who are alive and awake and hungry and thirsting for the glory of God. His glory will be seen upon you. I don't know about you, but my phone has lit up. 
I am sometimes hoarse at the end of the day. I can barely speak to my wife because I've been talking all day long to people from all over the world, different time zones. Some of them I appreciate are calling to see if myself and Laura Lee, Mom Laura Lee and the church and your relationships are healthy. Thank you for that. But many of you are calling and saying, what's going on? What's the word? What do we tell people? When will this end? How will this end? What is the outcome and what is next? Well, I want to deal with you for a moment about the place of next. <laughs> Very interesting that coming into the new year, the calendrical new year, January 1, 2020, the Lord spoke to us 100 days before the new year, and I didn't know the days, and Pastor Patty countered them for me, and she said, did you realize that when you released that word to the church and you said let's go into a hundred days of prayer the lord is calling us to a hundred days of prayer for what's coming on the earth and all i was was obedient and i said it myself not understanding the criticality of it but we went into a hundred days of prayer in this church and in our personal lives and we called those in our other churches around the world and we want to salute them in africa and india and wherever they're at those within our covering in pakistan and different parts of the world, and we began to pray. And we weren't sure how we were to pray, but we prayed, and it led us into a prayer of repentance and victory and a high expectation for what was to come at the turn of the new year. And that was the first time that God had ever put that upon my heart. And then as we hit the new year, the Lord said to us, now's time to enter into a season of fasting. So we went into 21 days of fast like some other churches and people called in the nation around the world. Fasting is what? It's, it's a tempering of our flesh. It's, it's a breaking down of repentance so that God will rise up and the flesh will become less. That the spirit increases and the flesh decreases. And as we were in the midst of that, just as we began, I, I had a dream that became a vision. How many of you have ever had a dream that's so vivid, so real, that you're not sure if you're seeing it or not seeing it in a dream? You're not sure if you're awake or not awake? And you wake up, and you're still seeing the vision. That's what happened to me. And I was with a whole bunch of people, and I remember telling everybody here as we went on to a journey of several weeks of understanding the journey of the next, the place of the next. There were many people walking with me. Some I knew, most I did not. And I realized that this was not just representative of our church, of our ministry, but this was of the world. And I said it many times, this isn't just for us. This is for more people. This is widespread. This is for whomsoever shall grab the revelation and understand. And as we were walking, I, I saw that it was very natural all of the contemporary luxuries were stripped down. I didn't understand it at the time, but I shared it. And I saw that it was a log cabin that we were walking towards, and it was big, and it didn't have modern windows in it. And it was a wilderness journey, and it was of a pure creation. I remember saying that. A pure creation. It wasn't inhibited or hindered by the things of the world, by the distractions, by vehicles, by all of the luxuries that have become our idols and our comforts. And as we were walking, I, I saw to the right of me a pasture field, and it was large and big, and I come from farms, and here in the heartland of Ohio, we, we, we have farms. 
We understand farms. We like farms. We walk in farms. We hunt in farms. We fish in farms. We grow things in farms. Our livestock is in farms, and we find our peace in farms. And while we were walking and I saw this pasture land, I saw that it had a very typical perimeter gate and fence along it. But then I began to see things stacked up. And they weren't stacked up like you would do in a, in a barn house or a storehouse of a farm, but they were stacked up as if you were going to build something. And, and I have a building background. I've been building ever since I can remember helping my grandfather when I was 10 years old, laying cement block, doing concrete with a hammer in my hand and learning to chisel stone. And, and all my life I've worked. I've operated equipment. I've built buildings, big buildings, high rises, small buildings, homes, houses, churches, garages. I understand what it takes to build. You need provisions and you need to have taken time and thought and have an engineering plan. And you need a, an architect that will help you to develop the dream that you have and what God has called forth for you. And you need to have economics and provisions and everything ready to go, or else your project will take forever and maybe never get completed. And I saw stacks of provisions, and as I began to look at them, I realized that this wasn't random, and this wasn't just something laying out in a field that somebody had left over in a project. They were stacked in a perfect order of execution for supply, and provision. I said, what are we building? What is going on? And then we emerged. And I say we because we were walking together. If you're watching me, this is your journey as well. And on the side of that building, it was like a log building, natural, no windows, very large. If I had to compare it to something, it would be what I would think that the side of Noah's Ark would be like. It was that big, ready for people to come in two by two, Pairs by pairs, a place of next. A place to take us through troubled waters. A place to transform us. And now the vision and the revelation come so alive to me, and I understand as I was even just worshiping in my shower early this morning, and the Lord said, Son, you realize that you're now floating in the ark of the place of next. I said, My God. And what is that for? He said, those who will come in, I will preserve them as I'm declaring a flood upon this earth. Now, it's not the flood that Noah had. The Lord gave us a rainbow, a keshet, name of one of our daughters, keshet, who when we were asking the Lord what a blessing she was and what to name her, we saw a big rainbow. We said, keshet, rainbow, Hebrew. He gave us a rainbow that he would never again destroy the earth by a flood. In fact, it's not his intention to ever again destroy the earth. In fact, he's come to reconcile the world through Jesus Christ. But he is coming and shaking to get the attention of the world to come back to him, for the world is lost. We'll get back to that in a moment. And as I looked at this building, this side that I realize now is just a huge building, we'll call it the place of next ark, if you will, written in big letters, was next. That's why I said, this is the place of next. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, son, you're coming into the place of next. And I looked around me, and there were people. They were short. They were tall. They were young. They were old. They were children. And we stopped, and the whole entourage stopped with me. And the Spirit of God cried out 
Then in the beginning of January, prepare to enter into the place of next. There's something about the place of next. The place of next has to have had an origin from a place of from. <laughs> We've all come from somewhere, and we're coming from somewhere, and we're on a journey. But the journey for those of us who believe God and have faith in Christ is to we enter into a rest in the place of next. And so, yes, if you could get this vision, God, the thumb of God, the thumb of God, that which is the anchor to the hand, correct? That is known in the fivefold ministry as the apostolic call. The thumb of God, the apostolic call of God has pressed down upon the earth and everything's in a pause, a divine pause. But the world may not understand that because there's too much perplexity. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I see, and God has spoken to me very clearly, it's a divine pause. And he said, son, tell my people that know me, that hunger for me, that are willing to have hearts that weep between the porch and the altar. Well, in the temple, the porch was where the common people went, and the altar was for the holy priest. And in between were the priests of God. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him, then we've become a nation of kings and priests unto the Lord. And the two aren't the same. Kingship has dominion. Priests serve. And so we are to serve God and to serve the people of God with weeping between the outer porch and the inner altar. Not all in the outer porch can enter the altar with holy hands. In fact, too many have. And the Lord has said, no more. You're defiling my altar. And there's something different about this altar than the altar of the old temple. This altar is sprinkled upon with the blood of the Lamb of God. This altar has a ministry of the sprinkling of the blood. And so, when we enter in with defiled hands, hands that are locked in the defilement of humanity and sin, then we enter in to defile the blood of the Lamb of God. Oh, I believe in the grace of God. I thank God for His grace in my life. I wouldn't be here. I still need it. I need a steady dose all the time. I don't know about you, but thank you. You could, Lord could put that as my middle name, Frank, Grace, John, Amedia. I need it. I need it with an emphasis. But we frustrate grace. We take advantage of grace. We live on the edge of the defilement of God in the blood of Jesus. The Lord says no more. So the first message, yes, it's to the world, but it's to the body of Christ. It's to the church. It's to you and me. I take it personally for me first. I've been weeping between the porch and the altar. And I have to admit to you that you know, after you go through a season of that, a couple hours, some moments walking around in the church, a little time alone, then all of a sudden we're, it's in our nature to, to want to do something else, to want to break out and go on to something else. Okay, I've repented. No, it's a season of repentance. It's a young, 
Kippur season of atonement. As I shared before, we were in Israel during Yom Kippur, and everything stopped. You could walk down the middle of the street. There was nothing on television. If you were in a high-rise like we were, you didn't even have to push the button for the elevator. It was automatic. You might stop on every floor, but you didn't touch a thing. Nothing was cooked. Nobody ate. It was a fast for a day. Now the Lord's calling us to a season of atonement. The world's busy. The world's busy not being busy right now. Something about the place of next. The place of next is that place where he asks us not to look back. The word's very clear. Old things have passed away. We're new creation people, and if Christ be in you, you're a new creature. And he says to look forward. Paul says, I reach forward to the prize of the hall calling, high calling. I set my mark and I race towards it. Beloved, this is one of the keys for you about what's after this pause of convid is lifted. Don't look back. So many people are going to want to return to the things that worked for them in the past or they, they, they got by doing or the things that they were able to to just be living hypocrites in between their faith in God. And the Lord says, now let it go, as in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. Come out and don't look back. In the place of next, what he showed us is we have all the supplies and provisions that we need. Take to heart his word. Don't just preach it. But take it to heart to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he shall supply all of these needs, all of these provisions, all of these wants. So what's for us after COVID-19? It's the fullness of the capacity of God if we rest in the place of next and don't look back. What does it mean to look back? To look back means to also participate in what we were doing that we shouldn't have been doing. Looking back means to look back and, and yearn for those moments and those times. Looking back means to go back to the same practices that we had prior to this stop and this season of atonement. I want you to understand that there'll be other places of next for us. And the Word of God is very clear as he tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that we're moving from a glory to a glory. We're transforming. We're changing. So in this place of next that we're all in, with the whole world on pause, do we resist change or do we invite change? Do we speak change or do we tolerate the old norm? Gross darkness Deep darkness is covering the earth. Can anybody deny that right now? I don't care if you're the communist government of China. When they get in the midst of their own little bullet barrow and they're trying to figure out how to maintain power and how to continue to exclude God. Or if you're in Russia and you're under that particular power and authority or in Iran or in Israel or here in the United States or in our beloved Pakistan, wherever you're at, we tend to want to go back to what was. 
But I assure you, in those closed-door meetings, whether it's in the White House or any palace or kingdom around this world, there's perplexity and confusion. When will it end? And how about this question? Will it come back? And when will it come back? Will this virus be like the flu that is seasonal and goes from October to May? And is May the finishing point? Oh, I like some of the prophecies that come out, and I'm not here to criticize their prophecies that it's going to all end by Passover. Well, Passover is about 13 days away, at least the middle of it. And it's going to end by Easter. That's about 17 days away, maybe 18. And it could. But will it? Will it? Is God really moved by a date we call a holiday, or is he moved by the one we worship for that time? You see, I'm not going to fix a time on that. I know this may sound to you to be very insensitive, but I have prayed this way, and I continue to pray. I say, Lord, do not take the pause off the world until we truly repent. Because what will happen if we just go back to the way life was? In the days before the flood in Noah, just frivol lies, frivolous life, like nothing happened. Then what shaking will we need? And will the church truly stand up and will we take our place and will we be the voice that we're supposed to be? Deep is calling to deep. Deep is calling to deep. That became a mantra of this ministry about four or five years ago. A study, a cry, a call. It's a university we're launching, deep calls to deep. Again, things just intersecting and crossing, and we begin to get an understanding of what it means. This is what we received from the word of the Lord in Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, Distress of nations with perplexity. <laughs> the sea and the waves roaring. He's talking about spiritual seas and waves of anxiety, of suffering, of fear. And the hearts of men failing them for fear. These things, the expectations of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. I don't think God's shaking his throne room. That's the third heaven. He's shaking the second heaven. The second heaven is where all the spiritual warfare, where the enemies go, where evil rests, and where the angels come to and fro from, that second heaven is being shaken. And I can assure you this, if you have spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear, if we don't get it here, I assure you the principalities and powers of the second heaven know what's coming. It's who is coming, and His name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lord of God, the King of kings, the Mighty One of Israel. He is coming. They know it. And now their prince, their king, the prince of this world, the one who runs amok, stirring up evil and anxiety and fear, disease. He knows he has but a short time because Jesus is coming. If we go through this pause as the body of Christ and do not hold on 
to the reality that Jesus is coming, we have failed what God has committed this Sabbath for. So we must prepare the way. We prepare the way in ourselves, and we prepare the way as voices unto the world. Perplexity. Do you know what perplexity means? No way of escape. People's hearts are fearing them. No ways of escape. We heard of the sad woman in, 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 New England, in Britain who said she, she didn't want to die of COVID-19, so she committed suicide. Such lack of faith and understanding. Such fear of a disease that worldwide is killing about 1.5% people. 1.5%. Not much of a different percentage than what the flu kills. And a much lesser percentage than many other diseases. These plagues are not new. We have a world population of about 7.8 billion people right now. Soon it's going to be 8 billion. It should have been way over 8 billion. It should have been almost 9 billion. The problem is we've been killing our babies since 1970. A billion of them murdered at the altar of abortion. Selflessness. It's about 678,000 cases worldwide right now of COVID. Deaths, about 31,000. 150,000 people have fully recovered. They're waiting for the announcements on the others. We've had about 124,000 cases in this country. This is as of 6.30 this morning, according to the Worldometer. We've had about 2,229 deaths. In the meantime, this year, since January 1, listen to this, 3,138,000 communicable diseases that killed people. But the world wasn't in perplexity. You see, because if it didn't hit your home, if it didn't hit you, if it didn't hit your nation, if it didn't hit your family, that's just somebody else. I'll just go on about my life like it is. We've had 117,000 seasonal flu deaths this year in the world. Twice as many, four times, five times as Corona. 60,000 of those approximately in this country. Children, 1,800,000 under the age of five died so far this year. Almost two million children died this year. Some of them in their sleep, some of them of starvation, some of them killed, not abortion, some of them drowning. 74, almost 75,000 mothers died giving birth this year. You have a greater chance of dying giving birth to a child than you do with coronavirus. AIDS, listen to this, almost 42 million people infected in the world right now with AIDS. Is that a pandemic? 406,000 deaths called by AIDS. Almost 2 million deaths by cancer. 240,000 deaths by malaria. Malaria, mosquito bites. <laughs> Here's a good one. 4,406,000 cigarettes have been smoked. 
which has resulted in 1,200,000 deaths by smoking, 604 deaths by alcohol this year. Alcohols, a lot, alcoholics are dying at a far more rapid pace than the disease of corona. Where's the cry out of the world? And this one, 260,000 suicides this year. $97 billion spent this year on illegal drugs. So far, $97 billion. 326,000 people killed in car accidents. But by far, the two greatest causes of death the two greatest causes of death are starvation and abortion. Nine million people have starved to death this year. Nine million. Hungry. Dying. From starvation-related ailments. But, the most dramatic of all, the one that leaps off the pages, the highest of all, it's incomparable with any other pandemic atrocity in the world, it's abortion. 10.2 million died. Babies killed in 12 weeks. One and a half children every second being murdered. Do we have stuff to repent about in this world? I think so. Did God put a pause on the earth to get our attention? Who could deny that unless you just want to be arrogant and deny God himself? And if you deny God himself, I'm not going to waste my breath on you. I'm just going to pray that God blesses you and opens your eyes. Because that arrogance will kill you. The wages of sin is death. So we look at separation. Isn't it interesting? We, of all people, we are starting to come to the reality of what separation is like. We have these social dysfunctional maladies that have been imposed upon people all over the world right now. Isn't it interesting? One of them is called social distancing. Keep a distance from everybody. That's a dysfunction because, you see, relationship is built upon communication. There is no relationship without communication. There's none. None. Pick any tribe, any culture, any people, any marriage, any family structure, any business, any military, any government. Pick the unit. Without communication, there's no relationship. So all of a sudden, we're gripped in this, this dysfunctional malady of human disconnect, and it's called social distancing, and, and that one wasn't enough, so we have another one, another dysfunctional social malady that's an abnormal human disconnect, and we call that one self-isolation, quarantine. And we have these pitiful pictures of people holding up babies to a 95-year-old grandma to see her new grandchild so that there's isolation. But really, what is it all about? It's about separation. Let's delve into separation a moment, if you will, with me. The most dramatic witness of separation 
that we have a testimony of, a vivid understanding of, in all of the history of the creation of the world, was Jesus Christ on the cross. Separation. Ultimately, what separated him from his Father, whom he had always known, never been apart from, was our sins. If our sins could separate God and his Son from each other, how arrogant of us to think that we can just swim in a false righteousness and grace and continue to sin. Jesus cried out on the cross, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani, my God, why have you separated from me? Why have you forsaken me? The pain on the cross had to be terrible and horrible. But the only thing he cried out about and complained about was the separation from his God. That's how we need to weep. That's how we need to cry between the porch and the altar right now is God. God, we're separated by sin. Oh, please don't light up my emails trying to teach me about the righteousness and grace of God. I know the righteousness of God. I know the grace of God, but I also know the wages of sin is separation and death. It's time we quit telling God who he is and what he does. And we begin to react and say, Lord, your word is true. And I know I'm speaking to more than one right now. Some of you know me, some of you don't know me. Would you please stop trying to conform God to what you want him to be? Let me tell you what you're doing. You're telling God he's a liar. Because he tells us who he is. He tells us what we should do. We know the word of God. We know the law of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And when we say to God that that's not enough, but, 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 this is how I believe. This is my knowledge of God. This is my concept of God. This is who I want God to be. Then you are calling God Almighty himself a liar. And the word of God says, let God be true and every man a liar. And what that means is in our humanism. So the word that's going out, first to the body of Christ, you and me, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and then unto the unbelieving world is stop making God into what he is not. We discussed last Sunday that politics has become a religion. It truly is. Let's just take for example this wonderful country we live in. We legislate laws that change the laws of God. They become the new law of the land, a religion. And then we legislate out the laws of God because they oppose the religion of our politics. To my brothers and sisters who are pastors and leaders, please throw down your political persuasion that blinds your eyes to the laws of God. There will be a day when all of us will be held accountable how did we vote? 
Did we tolerate somebody because we were intolerant of somebody else? Was it okay to accept a political religious platform that says kill the babies? Fund plant, parent planthood, planned parenthood, excuse me. We're going to be held accountable as leaders to whom much is given, much is required. And there's many more things we can talk about. In 2015, we basked our White House in the gay colors of rebellion against God because we had a ruling that came from our Supreme Court that legislated away the supreme law of God. God saw it. He's slow to anger, but guess what? Slow to anger means he does get angry. And you see, I don't want to hear from any theologians or religious people telling me also, Pastor, you need to teach that God has a passive will, a permissive will, and another will, and this kind of will. Quit telling God what he has. God tells me he's sovereign, and if my God is sovereign, I'm going to hold on to that because then he's my refuge and my strong tower. Because if he's not sovereign, then whom do I run to? Where's my deliverance? Where's my victory? Something happened in that sixth hour until the ninth hour. Beloved, (laughs) we're in a season of a sixth hour until the ninth hour when Christ was on the cross. And when the sin was being purged and the sin placed upon him and the Lamb of God who knew no sin was made sin that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Those are for my brothers who think I don't know. Guess what happened to the earth? Gross darkness came upon the earth, separation from the Father by sin. Arise and shine, for the glory of God is upon you. But gross darkness shall be upon the people who aren't really true in God, if you might allow me to say. So there's a gross darkness. It's caused by separation of sin. Nothing else separates from God but sin. Nothing! In fact, the Word of God tells us that we can blaspheme Him, blaspheme the Son. Don't blaspheme the Holy Ghost. God will tolerate His name used in vain. He doesn't like it. But He won't tolerate sin. He'll love the sinner and reject the sin. How can we believe in a God that can judge into hell if He can't judge sin on the earth? Take that one ultimate reconcilist. And so, there's a gross darkness over the earth. And as I pondered this, the Lord brought me to this. Genesis 1. It's worth us reading it for a moment. Because out of this is going to spring creative vision for you. I'm getting to the good part. Tolerate with me. God is stripping us down. He's beating us down so that he can build us back up. And it's not going to happen just because I preach this word today. It's going to happen because we respond to the pause. At least the body of Christ. 
if not the leaders of nations. Oh, how wonderful it would be to her to hear that the leaders of the nations all were on a phone call and agreed to a time of repentance to God. <laughs> Instead, they talked about oil prices and sharing ventilators and where to get the swabs from and what's going on in your country and how can we resume our economics and our trade and shut our borders and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and cried out, how about God? Do you really want to save your nation? Cry out for God. One day of prayer is great, but a season of prayer is what he's calling for. It's not going to be legislated. It has to come from us. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and, insert, gross darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from darkness. The Spirit of God is brooding over the gross darkness of the earth right now. He's looking for the light to break through. I can tell you it's breaking through at this house, in this church, in Canfield, Ohio. I can tell you it's breaking through in my home. I can tell you it's breaking through on my phone calls, no matter whether it's a banker who's a Muslim and called me in despair, or whether it's an architect that that, that, that loves God and was just answering, asking for an answer, or whether it's some Jewish friends in Canada who were just finally sending me stuff because God got their attention, or whether it was people in the ministry or people outside the ministry or people I just had put on my heart and I gave them a call and said, are you okay? And shared the gospel with them. The light can break through the darkness, but we are the light of the world. Jesus Christ said that if we take our light and hide it under a bushel, there is no light. I'm learning a lot about lumens. We're deciding what to do with our lighting. So people are teaching me things about lumens. and I, Okay, so I'll learn about lumens. But one thing I know, if you don't turn the light on, you have no lumens at all. It's not a matter of how bright. You've got to be bright first to get brighter. You've got to be bright first to get brighter. The greatest account. This is where it starts to get good. Get close. Come in close. The greatest account of creative energy ever documented. Creative energy. Not resurrection power. Creative energy. In the whole world is that which we just read in the account of Genesis. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God brooding over the deep and the dark. And deep was calling to deep. There was a deep calling out from the very beginning of God, from the insert of God, from the heart of God. And the voice of God was communicating in a relationship to everything that he had already implanted in the earth to come forth. God has created you and me with everything that we need to come forth. And every person that has ever been born, 
and unfortunately, the billion babies that didn't see the light of this day are created with that abundant potential and capacity. But it takes the brooding of the Holy Spirit, the creative power, the force, the same force that the Creator created the world with and called forth life and plants and animals and fishes and birds and vegetations and humans. That same force is brooding over us in the world right now, and he's looking for the potential. But nothing will grow without light. Only mushrooms grow in the dark that I know about. And usually those were drug-related. Mmm. The light. The light brings forth life. We're the light. And the light of God inside of us is the glory. We've entered in to a place that's highly illuminated. It's called the place of next. I had two very interesting calls with two people I respect and I'm honored to call my friends in the last few days. One was with Dr. Garth Kuntz and a shout out to Garth and Tina, two of God's living generals here on earth today. I'm so honored when God puts me in the presence of people that I can receive from and look at their lives and say, this is a testimony worth learning from. And Gar said to me, he said, Frank, interesting thing. He said, I was pondering 60 years ago in my Sunday school class. Our teacher told us that Jesus would be back by the year 2000. I said, where is he at now? He said, he's gone. I said, Jesus didn't come, and he didn't have to live to that prophecy to account for it. And we laughed because so many people have said for so long the last days are at hand and the perilous times are here. Well, beloved, I'm not going to put a timeline, but I can tell you this, you have to be blind and ignorant not to say we're in those last days. First of all, Israel's been regathered since 1948. Interesting that Israel's government has been put on pause now for about 500 days. Three election cycles, they're in the midst of the third one, still trying to figure it out because they have to figure out what it is that God wants them to do. And no matter whether the forces of the earth, whether they're Arab nation, whether they're relations, their neighbors, or the forces of the United States, or politics, or nations, tell them what they want them to do. If it's not aligned with what God wants, it's not happening until the final hammer comes down. Peace, peace, and then comes destruction. So they've been on pause for 500 days. If that doesn't speak to you, I don't know what else does. Now our whole country's on pause. All of the potential of the fullness of creation is in every form of life. Jesus on the cross, anxiety, apprehension in the garden, it's said that he broke down Great beads of blood pouring out of his pores from the anxiety, the pressure, the tension, the apprehension. I know many of us have anxiety right now. I'm not going to confess it for me, but I'm going to stand with you. I'm not one who preaches that. I preach from and with. And so I say we have an issue of anxiety and apprehension in the earth and in the body of Christ. Yet he didn't surrender his victory, and we should not either. We need vision. The other phone call I had was this. My friend Matt Crouch, who's 
making some decisions, and he put a demand upon my prophetic mantle. I found that interesting. Because Matt and I had a conversation not long ago that I'm not one of those vending machine prophets. You can't just put a quarter in me and I'll just give you a candy bar. It's not going to happen. I need to hear from God, and I'm really not interested in the smallest things most of the time. I'm just listening to what God has to say. It's just who I am. But he put a demand on me, and so I said, you know what, Matt? I feel the anointing of God. I shall pursue God for an answer. I said, and we'll have it within 72 hours, and I have it. This is part of it. And the first thing I saw as I was praying and walking outside that after that conversation was I saw a door open. It opened about 12 inches. But it was very bright light on the other side of the door. And I knew the door was something different than a typical door. It didn't have insets and inserts. It didn't even have a door handle on it. It was just a door. Jesus says, knock, knock, and I shall enter. Open the door. And the door was open 12 inches. And I knew that the light on the other side was vision. I knew the light on the other side was creation. I knew it was the force of the creator. And so I shared it with my friend Matt. And he's a very creative guy. He produces. He's artistic. He sees things like that. And so I can understand that because I see things like that sometimes. But as a preacher, I have to bring it down to earth. <laughs> not easy. Because it's not always what I see that I'm saying. And he said, he sent me a picture of the door. I said, yeah, but... We need to open it more. He said, kick the door open more. And he sent me another picture of the door half open. I said, no, we want to kick it open all the way and go through. And then he sent me a picture of the door all the way open. I said, yes. That's what our faith needs to do right now. We need vision. Because without vision, the people perish. I have a little cute slide I want to put up. It's from Alice in Wonderland. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. This point, vision without action in your place of next is nothing but a daydream. But action without vision is a nightmare in our lives. So, Alice said, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat said, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. And Alice said, well, I don't much care where. And the cat said, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Right now, what's after the virus? It's what you mark and set right now. What is your vision? What are we defining right now for our vision after this? Are we just going to reset ourselves like it was before? Go back to our practices that were already convicting us and giving us a problem? Or we're going to say no more. And he says, write them down on a tablet through Habakkuk. Write them down so it's plain and that you can see it and that the people will run to it and that you will run to it. So we need to write down our visions. We need to define our visions, and we need to pursue our visions, and we need to ask God to give us the hope, the time, and the resources, and the conviction in our heart to turn the page and not go back.
to that which was familiar. So this, beloved, are we going to emerge? Yes. Was it most likely that our economic structures, our political structures, our educational structures, our entertainment structures are all going to radically change? I wish so, I pray so, but I don't believe so. We have been heralding and promoting mountains in the body of Christ instead of standing on the mountain. Of God Almighty. You see, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It is an invisible enemy. There's principalities and powers in that second heaven that are getting shaken all over the place right now. And they're also on this earth. So if you're looking to those mountains, seven, eight, nine, you name how many you want, and I mean this in no deference to anybody of my brothers and sisters. However, that message isn't edifying for me. It does nothing for me. The Word of God is edifying. The promises of God are edifying. And Jesus Christ is the edifier. And so when we take this snapshot of the earth, how soon will we lose the picture? How soon? Will we understand how God brought everything to a halt? How soon will we lose our zeal for the heart of God? Know this. Creation is the heartbeat of God. His heart beats as the creator. Everything about him is to make all things new new creatures in Christ, to reconcile the world to himself. And ultimately, we'll have a new heaven and a new earth, and the Messiah shall return. That's the ultimate call of God. But right now, our challenge is not to look back, not to reset ourselves as we emerge from this place of next, but to transform and to be voices of transformation. It's something different for us, isn't it? Don't equate that with evangelism. Evangelism, in its rawest and best form, is to call the, those that don't know God into faith. I'm talking about transformation and reformation of the body of Christ. Too many people are overwhelmed with evangelizing the world when the body of Christ is a very, very sick bride. We start first in the house of God. And so my clarion call this week is for the house of God to come back to God. And the clarion call of the Spirit of God preaching from deep to deep is to come forth. Let the light come forth. Would everything that's alive in God come forth? There's more than one pandemic that is accosting the earth. The greatest of all is the pandemic of evil and humanism. We fight that 
we win all the other battles. We beat that, we chase it out of our homes, out of our children, out of our churches, out of our pulpits, out of our country. We've prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming. 